This is the Your Church Friends Podcast, and we are back with Season 2. Join us as we sit down with some of our church friends to discuss these topics and more. What is worship? Can I trust God? How should I study my Bible? And popular Christian catchphrases. It's Season 2 of the Your Church Friends Podcast. Our church friends. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yerlich. Or should I say, welcome to the award-winning podcast, Your Church Friends. We just got awarded in Podcast Magazine, or from Podcast Magazine. We ranked number 22 in top 50 podcasts created by dads. Yeah, and that's only the 50 that made it to the podium when we were 22nd. I mean, this is out of all dads podcasting everywhere. That's how I think about it. Yeah, that's yeah, we're twenty two out of all fathers podcasting, and there's there's no pride in that. Very humbly, yes, that. yes, we we very humbly accepted this award together. But I thought it was just it was super cool, and and thank you to everyone who voted for us in that, and anyone listening who did that, we really appreciate it. It was so cool, and it was such an honor to be a part of that, and to see our name there with some of the giants in podcasting. I mean, like Howie Mandel's podcast was number one, so we were up there with that guy. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's cool. And you know, really on the humbly part, I mean, obviously me and you didn't go vote for ourselves or anything. So just to even see the support that we have from everybody coming in and doing that, that it did, it caught me by surprise. I know it caught you by surprise. And it's just a cool thing that as we're coming and we're just kind of doing our thing and feeling like, hey, you know what? God's given us this opportunity to do. And when something like that happens, like, oh, cool. This is, I just see that as just a blessing from God that, I don't know, I like it. And I know that it kind of shows something that we're doing. You mean you didn't go vote every day for us five times? No. Oh. <laughs> Neither did Were I. we allowed to? Because we could have been higher than 22. We could have been. We could have been number one. Forget how, that. probably how Howie Mandel got there. He voted for himself like every day, a hundred times. Yeah, we're not, Anyways, we're not going to do that. Yeah. No, God was good. Let's put the envy away and, and be thankful for where we were at. But really, it was super cool. So yeah, we could put that little moniker on on our uh, podcast, the award-winning podcast, Your Church Friends. Yep, I'm for it. Yeah, Thanks, guys. There it is. The other thing is this is our last episode of the season. Maybe. I'm thinking that there might be a number two. We are doing a Q&A, and uh, there's a lot of questions. There was. I've got a question for you, though. Yes. So this season, we brought in all of our friends from our church or people that we knew locally. Don't ask me who my favorite friend is. No, I'm not going to ask you who your favorite <laughs> friend is, because uh, if we don't say Dewey, I think he'll get offended by us. But so far, what was your favorite one to be a part of? Because I know you weren't a part of some of them since you like ditched me on a few. But out of the ones you were there and, and you sat in and talked with, like which one was your favorite? Not to say that person was your favorite, but just more like the conversation and everything or the topic. No, yeah. That's hard. Just I really enjoyed the fact that it is just our friends and we're sitting down and having the types of conversations that we have with them. And man, I really like the conversations. Hmm, that's rough. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> the, the roughest thing is me trying to use my memory to go through them because I know afterwards I'm like, oh man, I forgot about that episode. You want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. I would say my favorite ones was probably the ones with our wives. And I'm not doing it to like win points with Justine because clearly if anyone's been around us long enough, you know that's not something I aim for. But one of the things I always thought that's cool, and I heard someone say this uh, about podcasting, is that, you know, it's out there and it's out there forever to be listened to on the Internet and what have you. And for me, I think, you know, when like eventually when I die, this is some place where my kids, if they ever want to go back and hear my voice, they're going to have ample things of hearing me talk stories about them or just what I thought about the Bible. So to have our wives incorporated into that, I thought that was super cool also. Yeah. That's cool. I'm glad you got points. I completely forgot that we did an episode with our wives. <laughs> <laughs> I've written, you know, my memory is not good. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, I really, and it's probably more because these have been more recent, but I really like the episode that we did with Dewey, uh, j- just because I really think that CR is a cool thing. But thinking back, I also like the, the episode of Zachariah, mm. just some of the different perspectives that he brought to things. I, I really enjoyed that. And just kind of deeper thinkings about the gospel and, and about that, that... I enjoyed. Yeah, I did too. But really, it's been everybody. I mean, I'm thinking with with Ralph, some of the belong students that we've had come in. Um, just the, it's been good. Yeah, me too. I agree. So let's get into this. 
They had Q's. We've got A's. It's Q&A time. Yeah. And the reason I was saying two episodes is because there is a lot of questions. Yeah. And I didn't want to just breeze through things or ignore things. And we kind of, my approach was, let's start. Let's go through them. And if we happen, because we didn't, we didn't pre-coach each other on, hey, what was your answer to this? So no, we did not. I was joking around. This is going to be our last episode. There might not be a second even <laughs> if we don't get through the questions because we'll find out there are irreconcilable differences between us. And uh, There may be no season three of your church friends. Or you'll have season three of your yeah. church friends. I'll go split off with one of my church friends and we'll start. Isn't that how denominations get started? That's a question. We'll that get there. That is a question. <laughs> <laughs> so there's part of the answer. All right. Question number one, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are great. Dinosaurs are great. What's your take? Is are dinosaurs a biblical thing? Is this something that do dinos did dinosaurs exist? If they didn't, I don't know what all of those bones are. So I also wasn't around. Uh, depending on how you feel about carbon dating and whether you want to take uh, biblical dating as everything's only six thousand years old or wherever you want to date things into, I wasn't alive then. Uh, but. And I'm also not a scientist, which is just to say, like, <laughs> my biggest experiences with dinosaurs is Jurassic Park. And then I find out later that dinosaurs might have been covered in feathers. So, you know, what do we know about dinosaurs truly? At one point, I was joking around with you the other night that I taught that Leviathan and Behemoth, like, oh, man, those are scriptural references to dinosaurs. And that was before I studied more and kind of into the ancient Near Eastern realm of things like, oh, Leviathan, like the chaos monster and all that stuff and actually got what they were talking about. So I don't believe that dinosaurs are referenced in the Bible. I don't think that they need to be referenced in the Bible for them to be true. Microwaves aren't referenced in the Bible, but yet I, you know, that's Someone's how I Someone's going to dig up a microwave in like 500 years and be like, what's this thing? It was an ancient animal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can go into it a, a little bit further, but I'm interested on your take. Yeah, I kind of stand in the same boat with that one where... What are all those bones that we find? I know some people have said that, you know, it's it's part of the creationism theory or the non-God-created-the-universe theory that uh, they would try to put bones in our face to say, like, no, the Bible's wrong on how old the earth is. But then again, like, I don't know any of that. So there could have been. And in dinosaurs, size range-wise, like, they range from, like, the size of a rabbit to the size of 200 feet. And here's another thing, like I own chickens, that's something we talk about, and that's why in our little logo there's those two little egg things, because that's me, Murdoch wears the glasses, although I do wear glasses, I just don't do it publicly. Um, ashamed of your glasses. I am, I'm ashamed to wear glasses. But I have chickens, and when I see those things eat sometimes, like they look like dinosaurs. Tiny velociraptors? Yes, when like we get tuna, we give them tuna for protein, and they look like it. So for me, just because they weren't in the Bible doesn't mean they didn't exist. And just because we find bones doesn't mean they did exist. I'm going to be more clear on my answer. I believe dinosaurs are a real thing. They were creatures that were alive on this earth that died and we found their bones. Like, I just want to be clear on that. I don't like, ah, there's bones. And I don't know if they were placed there by like ah, aliens, right? Or like what? No, yeah, it's a giant it's, hoax to like the atheists are doing to prove. Right. Like, I really don't subscribe to any of that. There's some interesting things for me that even when you look at carbon dating or things that seem really old or how could something like this not be mentioned in the Bible and to where I'm open to certain things, like there's a reading of the beginnings of Genesis that makes it open to that it wasn't at that point that God first created the planet. Like there is kind of a reading to it that that's where he came to a planet that he had previously created that was Tohu Avohu, it was, you know, wild and wasteland and all this stuff. And I'm like, cool, if there was like stuff here on the planet beforehand, and then he came and did a creation, you know, after that point to bring life as we know it currently, there is scholars will agree, hey, that that could be a reading of Genesis. I'm like, that makes sense on how things could be millions of years old with these giant creatures that we don't have like written record of. But uh, tons of stuff aren't in the isn't in the Bible, but it doesn't mean it's not real. So I don't think that it needs to be in there. Yeah, I wasn't trying to escape the question either. Uh, I didn't but, think you were. I just wanted yeah, to be clear yeah, for I people listening. Yeah, I was just trying to give both sides of it and what the thoughts were. And, but for myself, like, yeah, I want dinosaurs to exist. Like, I watched Jurassic Park, and that's cool. I want Jurassic Park to actually be a thing, not like where the dinosaurs would roam free and then kill tons of people, but more along the lines of, like, the zoo for dinosaurs. Like, yeah. I think that if it will e exist, that is the only outcome. 
That they would just escape and kill the humans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, we're not smart enough. <laughs> like, we will screw it up. I really I really yeah. think yeah, so. Yeah, no, I watch all those, and the velociraptors are geniuses. Like, they're smarter than people. <laughs> smarter than me. Clever girls. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. We can talk yeah, a lot yeah. on a lot of these, but we do have questions. Cool, you asked me that question. I'm going to move on to, should women be pastors? Oh, can we go back to the dinosaurs? I want to go back to the dinosaurs because <laughs> this is such a dividing question. Very much so. It really is. Like there are people out there that will get upset that a woman is a pastor. And for me personally, so I, I look at Ephesians 4, 11, 13, where it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I look at that, and it doesn't really specifically say that any of those titles have to be male or female. And there is a difference in there between apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastor's role, and the teacher's role. So they segregate them all into different things. And then I look at there's Miriam, where she was a prophetess, right? And then there was Deborah, who led the people of Israel. She was a judge. And then Priscilla and Phoebe, you know, you could even see where they were mentioned. I think uh, Phoebe was mentioned as a deacon in Romans. So they've had these positions. And that's another thing that even in some churches where women can't be deacons, but right there, she's mentioned as a deacon. Uh, so my personal opinion, and I know there's like First Timothy that says like women shouldn't preach or, or speak and in front. Be quiet. And should be quiet. But And there's another one in Corinthians, but I believe as Paul was writing that, he was writing that to a specific church who was dealing with issues with people speaking up and they just happened to be women who are causing some chaos in that church. So I don't think he was talking necessarily saying that to put down women. Cause he writes, how many letters has, did he write? Like 14 or something like that. And, and there, that's not in every single letter where he tells the women to be quiet. It's just mainly specifically for that church. So my answer is I don't see a problem with it, honestly. I really think that as we're asking questions and you brought up like, hey, that's where denominations and really, I think that on any of these to where we give whatever answer and I'm sure that our answers will differ on some and maybe we align, but other people feel differently. Like it really is the differences between a lot of denominations. I mean, I brought up like uh, different creation stuff or different evolution stuff. It's like, yep, different questions there. People of like mind gather together and there you go, denomination, right? And so as we're talking about women pastors, you're going to have churches that have no women pastors and churches who are led by women and like, sure. And it really comes down to, no, this is what the scripture says. And just like really holding tightly onto that, which we should, we should seek to understand in my own seeking to understand when it comes to those uh, references that you gave from Paul. I believe that those are largely uh, cultural written to specific churches and, and that that's what that is. So I think that that's where that's coming from. You brought up Phoebe and Phoebe being a deacon, a minister. The same word used for her is the same word that's used for Paul. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That is literally the same words being used, in, used there. And that when we say something like, oh, but being a pastor, a lot of times in common talk, we just lump everything together into one term. Like, and you just broke them all down, right? Here's all the giftings to the church. And like, there's differences between. And a lot of times we're like, oh, but this is this and this is this and trying to be specific. I don't know. I've, I've, uh, and I also think that my answer is largely cultural to the culture that I live in. Uh, us living in America is a culture that is unlike anything that has existed on the planet as far as like, you know, everything and just even things that have happened with, with women's rights over the past couple hundred years and, and things that have happened there that when I went to Ethiopia, the Ethiopian Orthodox churches, there is a side in the church for men, there's a side in the church for women, they have different entrances, and it's really like heavily culturalized that way. And I can tell you that in Belong, in the young adults ministry, we have several young women in there that are on fire with their teaching. And I love for them to have the opportunity to op crack open their Bibles and Teach me what they're seeing in there. We had Jordan on the show. Yeah, we had Jordan on the show. And Jordan's right? amazing. Like I, I, I at times listen to her and think she, she's better than me when she does it. Right. So better than me most of the times, right? Yeah. Yes, most it, of the times. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's even through those experiential things. And I don't want to lean too heavily on experiential things because you can experience a lot of things that in your vacuum of experience might be okay. But when it follows through into bigger things can be problems. Uh, but based on my study into the scripture, it would seem to be cultural in the scriptures. And then based off of my own personal experience, I've, I think that it's fine. I'm also keeping in the back of my mind that 
hey, if things start to go awry in a church and like there is a weird thing going on between men and women or whatever, I'm fine with revisiting that scripture and going, oh, maybe now it makes sense to me why that would be different. But from my current understanding of everything, that's where I stand. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing because when we look at scripture, we have to like, you have to put yourself in that time setting. And remember, I heard this and I thought it was really cool. Remember, it was written to them for us. So it was written specifically to a group of people, but also for us. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all these things are exactly the what they should be. I even mentioned it on Sunday when I was talking about how some people look at how Abraham had multiple wives or Solomon had multiple wives and think that it's in the Bible, so it's okay. Sometimes the Bible highlights things not to say it's okay, but to show you the error of those things. I don't I don't necessarily think that this is something that I guess I don't really have a problem with it because all these things are broken down and the way Paul breaks it down in, Eph- in, in Ephesians as each separate things. And, and I think we've kind of changed the term pastor and made it something else. Like for, for Christian churches in America or Western churches, that the pastor should be the prophet. He should be the evangelist and the teacher. But what if you were a good pastor, meaning a good shepherd, but you weren't a good teacher? Mm-hmm but you just had someone else in your congregation who had the gift of teaching, you know? So I think we assume that a pastor has to be all these things. And I think that's a false expectation. And we can have a church where a person can be running it from the top, but not be the teacher. You look like you're about to explode. Yeah. Biting my tongue really hard. Not to do with women pastors. Just when you say like, oh, the role of an American pastor. And oh yeah, the person with the baby spoon that's feeding adults. Yes. So next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we touched that. And the one thing I want to put in there before we go any further is that as we answer these things, we're, we're going to give our answer of what we're, where we're at today and our knowledge in the scripture today and where we've studied it. But that doesn't mean that tomorrow it can change. Like if I read something and it just highlighted it differently, like you were saying, revisiting the scripture, and I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense that, yeah, I'm, I'm allowed. I think there's grace should be allowed for people to have different answers. These are just what we've studied and what we've come across and how what answer we're going to give and honestly rather than just stop listening to us and get everybody that you know to stop listening to us uh hop on our facebook group and hit us up with any of like hey i kind of don't agree with you here did you consider these things or whatever like this seems like a one-sided conversation obviously me and you were talking chris but for everybody else who's listening it's like I want to talk with people. I love talking with people about these things. My favorite stuff is question and answer time and getting into stuff and digging into scripture. So yeah, everybody hop on the Facebook group. Hit us up and you go, I don't like Facebook. Me neither, but that's where we're at. <laughs> and the one thing too is conversation, it creates a form of unity. When you're consistently talking about something, that's where you create unity. Because you're going to find as you're talking more commonality than division. As we keep touching on denominations, that's where they all split from was conversation stopped and said, you know what, I just think this so much that I'm going to go my own way. Right. And you get these silos of opinion on either side and yeah. people build up their towers and yell at each other. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a tower. I'm coming out of the tower. I'm walking down to the other side. I'm wanting to conversate and, and talk through things. But yeah, I think we're good. Let's move on to the next one. Should born again Christians get tattoos? Oh boy. Should you? Like, Do you have any? I do have one. You do have the one, right? The little small one on your ribs, the yeah. cross? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I just hit the table. And you just knocked the table, and now we got that bang sound in there. Uh, you have the little small one on your ribs, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're scared to move now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and my whole arm, or basically like three quarters of my arm is tattooed, so I think... But should they? No, you don't need to get one. Yeah. I, I mean, mine is a cross, so mine is a very holy tattoo. You have like... Got the horses, a boar, an ace of spades. UFOs, airplanes, bombs. Yeah. Yeah, I've got an eclectic amount of things on my arm. But they all mean something to me. I, I you know, I think a lot of people go to Leviticus, right? Is that the main yeah. the main thing here of do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves? And uh I think again, talking about it in context, context there was this is what the cultures are doing around you, but they're doing it to worship other gods. And they're doing it in worship of other gods, and they're putting markings of themselves of other gods. And in the same vein, you can say that as I have, so one of my tattoos is uh, like a whole poster from a Foo Fighter concert because they were my favorite bands, but one of the lyrics in their songs, Fly Along With Me, I Can't Quite Make It Alone, that means something to me as far as being an introverted person. But you could say I put that on there and I'm worshiping that god. So I, I, 
I guess in a sense, I could see where people get there with it. But for myself, I think at the end of the day, God checks. It's not the skin that's holy, it's the heart. And so he checks the heart and the motives of why. And for me, the intention was not to worship a band that I like listening to. It was just more of a thing of speaking about myself. Yeah. Is it Dave Grohl? Yeah. Yeah, he knows that you're worshiping him. Right. He's like, ah, another person has tattooed his body in my honor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, even even how you said it, though, it's not the skin, but it's the heart. Kind of liked how you worded that. But Jesus at a time, the, he, he brings it up. He says, hey, if, if somebody does wrong and they didn't know about it, they're still going to get punished for it or judged for it. But if you knew that it was wrong and you did it, you'll get judged more harshly. And I feel like I can have all the best intentions and want to be doing good and stuff. It's just like, but if you do something wrong, even if your intentions were good, I don't think that it excuses. I think that their God is merciful and understanding, but it's like, hey, you know, here's where this is. Uh, that being said, I also agree with you as far as it being the practices that don't associate yourself with what the other nations are doing and, and why those other nations are doing it. And for anybody that's really focusing in there on the Levitical thing is go read the rest of the book of Leviticus. How much of that are you following? Yeah. And if you are true on your conviction that we should be following that, really understand why. We had Brittany on the show, and mm-hmm. she she follows a, a lot of stuff from the old covenantal laws, and that's fantastic, and she knows why, and she really knows why, and I love to learn from her on why that is. Um, so if that's where you stand, then that's where you stand. Now, me and Brittany are great friends, and you've become a, a good friend of hers as well. We're obviously on a different stance on this than, than with her. So it's like, are you checking all of your clothes to make sure that they're not interwoven between two different material types? <laughs> and are you doing this? Are you doing that? And it's like, I'm kind of, we're saying it jokingly, yeah. but it's like, hey, if you want to take the thing seriously, then go take it seriously. I've studied through it and I'm at the, I'm at the conviction that no, that's not that. You got and, all that mold scrubbed out of your house? <laughs> but, uh, and then other people go into the New Testament like, but your body is a temple. Again, read it in context. Your body is the temple, so stay away from sexual sin is really where that where that's talking to. And I'm not sure if anybody's ever seen a temple or seen like or read about how the temple was decorated. Temples are extremely decorated things. So it's just like <laughs> I've never seen a boring temple with plain walls. You know right. what I mean? So uh, yeah, my little cross. It's my de- it's my uh, temple decorations, right? <laughs> well, I have a a temple decoration of almost my arm, and I and I, I aim to get more. So. Again, I'm not putting this out there that like, hey, go out and get a tattoo. If your conviction is don't have tattoos, don't have a tattoo. It, it Paul writes that. Like if one person does this and that's okay for them, then that's it. But if some person says no, don't. I, I'm not telling someone like trying to change your mind. If your conviction stands on Christians shouldn't have a tattoo or you personally shouldn't. That's right. And if our answer is encouraging anybody to study it deeper... But don't go get one because we said it's okay. Yeah. Because then you're going to be like, well, those guys said. And it's like, no, no, no. Go pray. Mm -hmm. Read the scriptures. Come to your own conviction and then operate from your conviction. And don't try and make your conviction be something different. Let God's spirit convict you on on what it is. Uh, My friend Ted, who I'm hoping we'll maybe have on the show one day, he calls them, uh, he calls tattoos because he was against them for a long time. Then he got them. And uh, ID markers, identification markers, because he's got really Christianized tattoos on stuff and just really like, no, I belong to God. Like if I'm putting something on my body, it's identifying me for for worship of him. So that's even a cool approach there. But yeah, we've, <laughs> I just think of Justin McCourt, like yeah. across his face, he has Jesus Christ tattooed across his neck. He has John three sixteen, And it's like, yeah, tattoos. Yeah, we, uh, on Sunday, we had a Camp Agape mm-hmm. at our church, and they're a, a local place here in California that does some cool stuff for uh, uh, kids whose parents are in prison and who are just abandoned. It, it's a really cool program. You should look into it. But all the guys and representatives, or the two representatives of there, plus the guy who comes to our church, Justin McCourt, were all like tattooed up and everything. And then I, I spoke, and I just wore a short sleeve t shirt because I didn't feel like getting dressed up to preach. And my whole arm's almost exposed, and, and it's in there. So it's, it's part of what some people do. And, and again, like, I just lean on the whole idea of, like, if you're no, then be no, and that's cool. But that's your conviction. And, and if it's someone else is doing it, don't, don't go judging them harshly for it. Like, share your opinion, but let God deal with the heart of the matter. I mean, I, there, again, I could go five years from now and be like, man, this is a mistake, and I shouldn't have done any of this. But as of today, the conviction that God's put in me is saying that it's not that bad. Yeah. All right. Next one. Can you be pro-abortion and be a true, authentic Christian? 
Do you see right now I'm saying this is probably going to be two episodes? <laughs> yeah, we're at like a little bit over 25 minutes on this. this <laughs> Are we already on yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, some of these, they're going to be pretty quick shots towards the end. Yeah, I thought some of these were already going to be quick shots. Dinosaurs. Yes, they exist. Let's look well, dinosaurs are fun, though. <laughs> yeah. We're both going to talk about dinosaurs. <laughs> you see how I'm uh, I mean, already... we could answer one right now. Why doesn't the Holy Spirit have a name? That was a question on there. I don't know. Do you know why the Holy Spirit doesn't have a name? I thought his name was Holy Spirit, and that's okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. Okay, so we answered one right there. We don't have to get to that. All right. That's a quick answer. Well, I just thought that you noticed that when we come to these the harder questions, I just keep going back to dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you say? Can, can uh, you be pro-abortion and be a true, authentic Christian? Oh, so much of it, it's, again, pro-abortion how? For what reasons? There are people on a full spectrum of what pro-abortion looks like. Uh, ranging from, hey, if you're in a situation to, like, the mother is for sure going to lose her life, and the baby also is probably going to lose the life, and in what situation do you do there? Like, do you lose the baby who's probably not going to survive anyways in order to for sure save the mother? I think that that's one question, right? But you know, when you get to the other side of the spectrum, you're like, no, third trimester abortion, fully formed child, Go ahead, take it out, and I don't want to get graphic if you don't know what happens during an abortion. It's a frightening thing to look into, but if you're going to discuss abortions, I think go and inform yourself. Because if you don't know what happens during an abortion for any of the trimesters, go and find out. You'll, you need to be informed on what these things are. It's, it's frightening. And if somebody's going to go, no, third-term abortion, go ahead and go in there and do the things that they do, that's a different conversation. So being pro-abortion, it's how, because people mean different things when they say that. I know some people will say, it doesn't matter. You're never allowed to take a life. You're never allowed to do that. I'm not pro-abortion. I think that I, I would hate to get put in the situation of how, how I said there, like if Delilah, like if she was to be carrying our child and get put in that situation, like that is a crazy bad situation to be put in to be making those decisions. And I would be covering that in prayer and asking everyone to pray and really be on my face before God. And like, that's a horrible decision to have to make. But I think that and here we are. I can already hear it. Well, listen to these two men talking about abortion and you have no right to talk about it and everything is like, I truly think that if for whatever reason there's a woman found carrying a child and she does not want the child, I would urge her, see it through to the end. It's my prey and my hope and even where I preach is that the church should be the recipient of, hey, if you're going to be against abortion and ask a woman to carry it through to the birth, then the church should also be the people to accept the children and to care for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know even when we, when you talk about that, like that's like 1% of like one-tenth of 1% of abortions today is the mother or the child's life is in jeopardy. And and I know that coming from rape and some others about it, like it's a really, really small percent. Those are those are horrible situations, but I've even in the occurrence of rape, it's just like that wasn't the child's fault. Yeah, and to me, I look at that and like two rights don't make a wrong, you know, like obviously that was a wrong that happened to you wrongs or two wrongs will make a right. Yeah. Let me flip that. Uh, what does Willy Wonka say? <laughs> Take that. Fl- no, no, no. That's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't say that. I think it's a stop, reverse it yeah. and then go forward. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think two wrongs make a right. And so, and again, yeah, we're two guys. And I, I was really, as we were talking, I was really going to come heavy at the idea of like, you know, that the terminology that gets thrown around my body, my choice. And that even as I thought about it, like, because I'm going to say the answer is like, no, it's not your body. It's God's. Once you commit your life to God, you belong to God. Uh, but a lot of people in those situations aren't, you know, who make that decision may not be Christians. So there's that. But then I just got done answering like, hey, I have tattoos. It's my body. I could put markings on it kind of answer. But the real nut- crux of it all for me is that 98% of abortions are done just because the mother doesn't want a child. Yeah. And so as a Christian, abortion is murder. That, that's the way you put it. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to this nation. So every person's from the moment they came into this world, or the, there's the, the conception, like even before that, God knew them, and they were formed, and he knew them. So they're already a, a being that he created and that has life in it. So to take that life, yeah, it, it is taking a life when you do it. The part I want to touch on it the most, though, is that like if you're someone who's done this before in your past life, like there's forgiveness. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and even if it's a choice you had to make that you felt at that time that you had to, it's not like it's unforgivable. You know, God, there's grace in everything that we do. And there's grace in this. Uh, not to then, say, go out and have an abortion and find grace, but if it was a past mistake and you're moving forward in your relationship with Christ, then, then you could find grace in that guilt and sorrow that you have in that. But I do not believe abortion is something that Christians should be promoting or saying as something we do. Because it's such a cultural thing nowadays that if you don't accept this, that you're not a good person. Like if you don't, ex- if you're not pro-abortion, then you're not a good person. That's what culture is throwing at us. But the one thing I think we as Christians have to remember is that where Christ stood on things was always counterculture. So if you see the culture moving one way, that's when you should know that that is something that's probably not along the lines of where God has us. And I know that some people have even put up the idea of abortion as like, it's our modern day sacrifices to gods, uh, as uh, something that they did in the Bible, the, the all the other nations where they sacrificed their children to gods. And I know some people have even equated it to that. But honestly, at the end of the day, for me, it's just something that it is, it is taking someone's life. And we do not have that right. Yeah, I I said I believe that birth starts at conception. Again, that's my belief when I look at it. I've I've heard a what's the analogy? Is that if somebody's in the middle of the street and you and say it's dark and somebody's in the middle of the street and you think that you hear a very large vehicle coming, would you not try to get that person out of harm's way? Right? You would want to save that person from possibly getting hurt, injured, killed. And when you look at well, does it start at conception or what part along the fetal development does it become a human being is it only past birth it's just like if it's a possibility that that's a human life at any point there wouldn't you want to not kill a Mm -hmm. human life right to where just like even if you're not sure like you're not sure that that truck is coming but you have you're thinking that there might be somebody who would die so you're going to bring that person to safety so it's just kind of like well that's where i mean i think for other reasons that life begins at conception but even if you're questioning it it's like err on the side of caution not to kill a human being. Um, the, the one thing I liked, and, I, and before we go into the next part of it uh, or the next question or any, wherever we move next, the one thing I liked is when you talked about like if you're for abortion, go out and watch, especially in those third trimesters of what that is and what's happening and what that looks like. Go and watch a video of what that procedure is in completeness. And then tell me that you're still going to support that. Because I really think once you see that, once you see what's going on there, there's no way that you can be supportive of it. And, and don't, if you're a Christian today, don't get caught up with culture, man. Like, culture is going to tell us some stupid stuff. And they're going to want us to side with them and say that this is okay. But we just have to remember that, no, we stand against the grain. We set ourselves apart to be holy for Christ. And to be holy for God, to build his kingdom, not this kingdom of this culture. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, th- I hope that people are hearing. I mean, as we talked, we're recognizing there's a, there's a spectrum of, of things going on and de- desiring that the church would be more involved and compassion and forgiveness and all those things. Um, we're definitely not hateful people towards anybody who's had an abortion or is looking at getting an abortion. Like, you know, but urging people towards, hey, based on where we see scripture is that and the fact that God is involved in the creation of human life is just like, yeah, that's a very serious thing. Uh, if you want to look at more things for anybody, there's uh, do a little bit of research into the SLED test, S-L-E-D, when considering abortion. If you're trying to figure out, well, like, I don't know how I stand on it. Uh, SLED stands for Size, Level of Development, Environment, and Degree of Dependency. Um, it's a really cool thing to look at. I know I didn't prep you on this one before, and I'm, I'm not going to spend time on it now. But just for anybody looking at it that... Just just look into it. All right. Uh, let's go to the break. Yeah. And then we'll come back. Hey, church friends. Chris here to say thank you for supporting and listening to our podcast. We're taking a short summer break, but we'll be back with season three, Villains of the Bible, August 11th, 2021. In the meantime, go to our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks, and check out our previous episodes that you may have missed. There you'll also find a link to connect with us on our Facebook group page where we are more than willing to answer any questions you have about God, Jesus, the Bible, or the church. 
Also, don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast or share it on your social media accounts. We would definitely appreciate the share. Finally, we would like to say thank you to all the guests that have been on the show this season and the previous one. You are all wonderful human beings for taking the time out to be a part of what we are doing. Hi everybody, I'm Casey. I'm Remy. And I'm Reed. We really appreciate you listening to our dad's podcast. If you can leave a review on what you like about the show. Or leave a five-star rating. Also check out their website. It's, it's, Remy, what is it? Hmm, it's on the tip of my tongue. What is it? Yourchurchfriends.rocks. Oh yeah, that's it. On the website, you can listen to our past episodes. Join the Facebook group page. And more. Now back to the show. All right, we are back. It is your award-winning podcast, Your Church Friends. I'm just going to say that a lot because it sounds so cool. And, and honestly, it's just like, oh, man, this is so cool. I really was, if anyone was around me yesterday when all this was happening, you would have seen the most humble moments of my life. And now your head is huge. And now my ego is through the roof. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I'm going to toss this question to you. Okay. And I'm going to let you answer it. And, and then maybe this will help with the time of everything. So is God sovereign over salvation? Yes. <laughs> Is that it? Uh, I think that people are wanting more beyond yeah. that. And I have to assume somewhat of where the question asker was coming from with some of this. There's a whole thing that gets into God's sovereignty, which really gets into um, like Calvinism and Arminianism within kind of the realms of theology and everything that comes from that. My short answer is God's sovereign over salvation. I would say yes, because Jesus is the only Messiah. And he came to offer salvation. And if that's not God being completely sovereign over the decision of how men are to be saved and how that's to take place, then I don't know what sovereignty is. You know, there is God's way of salvation. There's no other way than God's way. You know what I mean? So um, for him being sovereign over that, but when it comes into the the argument of Calvinism versus Arminianism, or kind of like sovereignty or predestination versus free will, and I'm going to very, very much hyphenate this and paraphrase the argument so i'm hoping that people aren't like too much of theological hound dogs trying to like <laughs> come down on this but you have is god absolutely sovereign over absolutely everything and is salvation a gift and is repentance a gift and is he offering it to you and it gets to the point of even as he predestined those who would receive salvation right because there's scripture that talks about for those that he foreknew he predestined and all that the elect and a huge thing within that understanding is the elect of God. Um, whereas on the other side, there's the free will to God is offering, but it's up to you. Like, are you going to accept it or not? So on the one hand, you have, is has God elected certain people to salvation while kind of, well, I guess to use the potter is in control of the clay, right? So if he was to make one thing for honorable use and one for dishonorable use, who are you to say what the potter is to do with the clay? So, you know, we're all God's creation. And if he has some of us to come to salvation and some of us not, then that's his decision on what to do with his creation. Versus on the free will side, it's more of just like, no, you know, God's offering it. And whatever you do with that, he's not forcing you one way or the other. And you can get to a weird thing with predestination because like, cool, God created everybody. And then he elected some people. And then the people that he didn't choose to elect, he's then condemning to hell. And it's like, well, how is that fair? You didn't even give me a chance. You created me, didn't give me a chance because you didn't elect me and now I'm getting punished for it. And that's like some of the concepts that people come with things. Whereas if you go to the free will side, there's people who are really like, so what, like your will is greater than God's? You're just allowed to make decisions. And like, what does that look like? And again, the arguments go super deep into this thing where I land more towards God is sovereign over all. And I believe that it's God's will that all men would come to repentance and to salvation. I think that that's God's will. When you get into the elect and if God's foreknowledge and stuff, look in the Old Testament. The Israelites were called God's elect. Not all of them were saved. So to be part of the elect doesn't mean that you're saved necessarily. You're part of a community of those in which salvation, this message of salvation can be working. You even have David at a point to where he's trapped, he's like he's in his whole like, ah, trying to escape everybody hunting him down situation, and he's in the city, and he goes and he asks God, like, hey, if I stay here, what's going to happen? And God says, hey, if you stay there, they're going to rat you out, and you're going to, you're going to get turned over, and you're, you know, 
So David leaves. It's like, no, but God knew that he was going to get turned over to his enemies. Yeah, but David left. But didn't God's foreknowledge mean that it had to happen? It's like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? So God's foreknowledge and predestination and all these ideas, they're very different things. And it's try to understand the mind of God. I can't. Right. So I know that was kind of a long about answer, but I kind of think that those are things coming into and just things to consider. But is God sovereign over salvation? I think that, yes, he has offered us the way of salvation, even when it comes to what about the people who haven't heard about Jesus? I believe that God is so mighty that even where the church hasn't been able to take that message yet, I don't know how, but I think that God is willing that all men should come to salvation. And I know that I just opened myself to, to people going, oh, thank he thinks that people can be saved without Jesus. Please don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we just say that God is really good, but he's also given the church a mission to go and preach the gospel? I don't know. Those are two sides of a coin to me. I need to hold them in tension. To me, the thing I liked the most was the, can you understand what God's doing? And I think that puts it into a good perspective of really how should we put it there? Because on both ends, there's always going to be the extreme thought of like, well, what about this, this, and this? And at some point, let's just trust God and know that he has everything in his control. And ultimately, his plan is going to get worked out the way he's going to do it. But there's so many examples of that same David story. I mean, Joseph in the dream, like, should if he would have stayed there with Jesus, what would have happened? You know, he had to move down to Egypt, and then he came back. And, you know, there's just so many moments of where God said, hey, leave here or else it's going to be bad. And people always have the choice to, to either follow and be obedient or not. So, And that's the thing. For whatever whatever God has revealed to you, what are you doing with that, yeah. right? And you can look at, well, I'm only responding based on what it is that God has given me to respond. And if you fall into the predestination camp and that's how you view things is that everything that's happening to you is because God is the author and the finisher of your salvation. And he's written all of your days. He knew all of your days before you lived a certain one. And like, I get that argument, but like, I don't know how to live that life. When I wake up, am I going to brush my teeth today? Is God predestining me to brush my teeth? Maybe if I brush my teeth, it's because he predestined it. But through my experiential knowledge, I don't understand what that is. <laughs> like, yeah. I need to go and go, oh, my mouth is gross. You know, I need to brush my teeth. So again, two things in tension. Is God sovereign overall? Yes. Do I still need to make decisions? Yes. I don't know. I can't separate the two. Sounds good. Let's yeah. go to the next one. Sure. All right. I'll, I'll toss it to you. Uh, is God absent from hell? Kind of touching on God's omnipresence. That's a tough one. Right? Because at one end, you're like, is God omnipresent in everything? Is he everywhere? And I think one thing I really liked when I was looking into this was this idea of that, like, hell isn't absent from his presence in the sense of his presence of, it's absent of, of his presence of love, of grace, of all the beauty that he has. But in hell is the presence of his judgment and his wrath on those who uh, chose not to believe in him. So there's a presence of him. But is it the same as saying like a presence of like he's actually there in hell as well? Uh, that I, I mean, I don't I don't think so. But I think there is his presence. It's just more of a disconnect between the love that he has to offer us when we get into heaven and eternity and the love that we have while we're still here on earth. But the moment there's hell, his, it's, it's his wrath. It's his judgment. So it's it's his there. And he is there in that sense. He's just not there in the comforting way. I guess if that makes sense, I thought that was a good way to like put it together where you're still keeping, he's still omnipresent, but he's not necessarily like the grace of God isn't in hell. What's your thoughts? I'll, I'll talk on some th stuff rather than poke holes in what you're trying to do or try to poke <laughs> holes and see where you're at. Maybe, maybe we can talk through it. I'm just going to do the annoying thing and say, is God in hell? And say, what do you think hell is? Because thanks to King James language coming from 1611, you know, things getting translated in English, which so cool that it got translated into common tongue that people could understand. But a thing happened to where all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, different words all got translated as hell. So in the Old Testament, you have Sheol. In the New Testament, you have Hades, you have Tartarus, you have Gehenna. All of them got translated into hell. Are they all talking about the same thing? No. Right? They have tie-ins to different things. When you look at Sheol, Sheol is the underworld. It's the grave. It's where dead people go, right? Do all dead people go to hell? No. Do all dead people go to the underworld where dead people go? Yes. Is that a place of torture and like all of that stuff? No. But yet you still have Jesus giving the example of Lazarus and, and the rich man. I was just going to ask you about that too, because as I was, as you're talking about that, I was thinking of, 
Right. So they're he he was both in there. Yeah. They're both in what the Old Testament called Sheol, but you have what's called Abraham's bosom or like paradise, and you have that. And then on the other hand, the great chasm separates the two, but they're both there and the place where dead people go. And you have the great promise of the Old Testament, the great th- expectancy that that the prophets and everybody had. King David has, don't leave me in Sheol. The great desire for a resurrection, right? To come out of that. So it's really a thing of like, is God in that place? It's like, even just looking at, well, what is hell and what does all that look like, right? And then you get into Revelation to where to use the King James Version. What is this? Revelation 2014 says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So if hell gets cast into the lake of fire, then is hell even a thing anymore? Because everyone's like, you know what I mean? So it's, it really is a thing to where these are deeper questions to just say, but God's omnipresence, is he there? I would say, can we understand these things better so that we can be more informed about what we're talking about? Because there's a huge thing. Well, do you go to heaven or hell when you die? <laughs> right? And all these like, go, and it's just... And I think for me, the deeper thing is answering the omnipresence thing. Like, what does that actually mean? Does, is he in some physically form there or is his eyes able to see it? You know, like to me, omnipresent, like God is everywhere and God is all things. Yes, but it also is like nothing is out of God's sight or vision or view. And, and, and to me, that also qualifies if I could see everything, I'm also present in everything because I can see it. So... I guess that's where, where I look at it as just this weird kind of, I, I, honestly, my answer would be, I don't really know. I'm going to give you my thoughts. I'm going to give you some philosophies that I looked at and thought, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. I honestly don't know. But then again, like the last question, I'm not God and try to understand God and what omnipresence mean and what defines all powerful, what defines all sovereign, what defines all the things that God is and his characteristics, all goodness. What is that? At some point, there's a part of me that doesn't fully understand what omnipresence really means. Like, I'm not present with my children right now because I can't see them. And then I'm trying to put it into humanistic terms and trying to put it into a humanistic way to understand it. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm going to chalk this one up to I could give you an answer that sounds like, yeah, there, maybe. But <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I have no idea. I'm, I wasn't trying to escape it by like, oh, let's go into these things, but it no, really... No, I, I think that's an important part, I think that though. if we're going to ask questions, let's understand the terms that we're using so that mm-hmm. we can accurately talk about it. And even in doing so, it's like, okay, but you bring a lot of the concept of what hell is. For most Americans, our concept of hell comes from Dante's Inferno, not from the Bible. So you got to understand that even when you study the Bible and you see that like Satan is somewhat like, I don't want to say like the god of death but he's like the Lord over the underworld in a way, but not in the way that like, oh, cool, he's the ruler that's there. It's like he was cast down into that place, you know, dethroned from his heavenly position to be like, oh, that's a horrible spot to be now. Like, you know, you're like a Lord of the dead and what does that look? But then even Jesus coming and Jesus comes to the point of what did he do during those three days that he was dead? He went down into Sheol to set the captives free to conquer the Lord of death, like, right? And he has the keys now to death and he's overcome it all. So it's like, is God there? Well, we know that Jesus went there to break everybody out. And again, resurrection, the hope of all of that. So it's a really interesting question to come down to it. And then again, Revelation 20 gets cast in the lake of fire. So then the conversation moves to, okay, well, if the lake of fire is the ultimate end judgment, then is God in the lake of fire? I'm just I'm bringing up more questions than I'm going to answer because I'm going to say this and we're going to move on to the next one. What is the lake of fire? Because it says in Revelation 2014 that that's the second death. What does it mean that that's the second death? What happens in the lake of fire? Is it eternal conscience torment that people are stuck in the lake of fire? Because then it brings up questions to me. Who are the people that are in the outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth? How come they're not in the lake of fire? Or is that the same place? Or what is fire often used for in the Bible? It's used for refinement which is where you go, oh, cool, I can kind of get where some of our Catholic brothers and sisters and different stuff come up with purgatory or something like that. Is it just straight annihilationism that you get thrown into the fire and that's it, you're done? You don't get eternal life. Your judgment is death. Where Jesus says, don't fear the one who can destroy your body, fear the one that can destroy your body and your soul. So is the second death literally God just going, cool, you don't have life? So it's the thing of like, if these aren't questions that you've considered, those are worthy of considerations like, but is God in that? God 
is sovereign over all of that. And if you're worried about, but is God in hell? Is God in Sheol? Is God in the lake of fire? My main concern is that you aren't there, that I am not there, that we would be responsive to the good news that we can be in his presence and that we would bring that good news to as many people as possible. Like if he is there and or if he isn't there, like what does that mean? I, I don't know, but I would, if he is there, I would rather he be there and none of my friends and family be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. If he's not there, same thing. I don't want any of my friends or family to be there. I love to ponder on questions, but it's so easy to get wrapped up in questions and lose sight of like, what are we doing with it? Which isn't any kind of condemnation to whoever asked this question. I obviously have studied into it and really like digging into this stuff. Again, Facebook group. Let's talk about it more. That's a good answer. We're going to move on because yeah. I like that. I would just make that all sound more stupid. What I do best. All right, go. <laughs> you say that, but you always come super prepared with all the notes and the quotes and the stuff. I'm like, yeah. And plus you get to edit out. There's a long period of silence there where I was sounding very stupid. What doctrine do you think is most despised in modern church today? Despised. We were kind of talking about this during the break uh, as far as what qualifies as doctrine. So I don't know if my response is going to be doctrine versus just teachings or things that I tend to think that people don't like much. I think that the f- I kind of have two answers. One is despised, maybe not by what people say, but by their actions. And that would be repentance. Ooh. Is that people show that they don't like that teaching because they don't repent. And we make justifications and excuses and all kinds of stuff about why not repenting. It's like Jesus wouldn't call you to repentance if you couldn't repent. So people just living in lifestyles of sin and all this stuff and all this stuff. Like, I get addictions. I get the fight with stuff. Like, I have fought through lots of stuff and trying to work through repentance and different stuff. And sometimes things take a while. But if you're not even fighting, like... (laughs) I like that answer because I really... So I'm going to say that's mine, too, to still answers from other people. But I really like that because when you even look at it, the church... Honestly, if you're listening to this, when's the last time you heard the word repent? on a Sunday morning in a message or even said, you know, like we nowadays walk around that word even to the point of where come to Christ. All you need to do is say your ABCs, admit, believe, and confess. But in there, there is no repentance. I, I think there's a prayer that goes around with the, that's called the sinner's prayer. And in it, there isn't really a form of the word repentance in it. And it's such a crucial part of the whole equation that you have to repent of the things that you've done and say, I'm going to move forward in this new creation. You are renouncing all of your allegiances to any form of wickedness and you are giving all of your allegiance to Jesus to walk in the new life that he's given you. You look at John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. You look at Jesus, repent. You look at Peter when he's first preaching in Acts, right? Repent. You look at Paul and in ways he says repent in other ways he says, should you continue in sin? God forbid. Like, it's the message all the way across the board. James and, right, all of them. John, they're bringing it in. So you can't escape repentance, Old Testament or New Testament, but somehow the church tries to escape it. And then we look at all the statistics about the church looks just like the world, and you're looking at the world who thinks that the church is just full of hypocrites. And it's like, what, where, why? And we can come up with the church looking like hypocrites from the perspective of we're not honest about the fact that we do struggle, that we're not perfect, you know, and we can try and hide the fact that we do struggle. But we can also be hypocrites from the fact of just, no, we just like to sin and we're not turning from it. So Uh, repentance is a huge one for me. I went while you were talking about like it's in the Bible and Jesus said that it's always even to the last book. I mean, we're touching on revelations, might as well get into there more. The church of Ephesus was told you forsaking your first love. And in there, uh, John writes, uh, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand in your place. And that's the thing, is that God, throughout all of the scriptures, repentance is the solution that gets things moving in the right direction. Because humans are prone to fall into temptation and to desire after wicked things, and there's an enemy that's seeking to destroy, to seek, kill, and destroy, right? The solution always is like, cool, and you're crying out to God, turn from your wicked ways and turn to him, and walk in his righteousness, and walk in the new way, walk in obedience for his commands, and all the different ways that the scriptures talk about it, 
Um, so yeah, it's despised through action. I would say repentance. Yeah. I would say that tied with that though is works works because works get tied in with the law or with the commands. And a lot of times if you try and kind of hold people to a standard, it's like, Hey, that's legalism. Don't hold me to that. It's like, you don't want me to hold you to a holy lifestyle. Like, Oh, like you have a problem with telling the truth. Like, you know, that's legalism to ask you to be an honest person full of integrity is like, no, or it's legalism to try and encourage the church to care for the least of these, which is Jesus is pretty clear when he separates, right? The, the sheep from the goats. Hey, you took care of all these people who were in need. You guys didn't. Uh, what about all of our preaching? No. Right? So to, or to even tie in that works is part of salvation. So many people want to say that they're saved. And again, going back to not, ha- not having repented, but then not even walking in a way similar to Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus. And a lot of people want to say, I've taken Jesus on as my savior. Have you taken him on as your Lord? And I'm not the judge of anybody's salvation. But if you're continuing to walk in sin and you're not living more like Jesus, again, not that struggles don't happen and there's not working through stuff, but uh, scripture's pretty clear that if you continue to walk in a lifestyle of sin, you don't have the love of God in you. If you have a faith that doesn't have works, that faith can't save you. And again, not that we're earning salvation through the things that we do, but I just see that works is despised throughout the church. Again, through just the way that we talk about it. Don't hold me to that stuff. And it's, I don't know. I like that. And the world goes, why is everything on fire? Where is the help? (laughs) And Jesus is like, hey, church, remember I gave you guys the authority to go out and do the things that I called you to do that you're supposed to walk in the same way that I walked on the earth? And we're just like, eh, as long as we're saved. We weren't saved for anything other than heaven when we die. And that's what the absence of works looks like, is that we come and we meet in this building, and we come and we sit under good teaching. But, man, if you, if you ask me to do anything other than to attend a church service and maybe a Bible study, like, that's works. I'm not saved by that stuff. I'm saved by grace and faith alone. It's like, okay, but to what end? Those are two really good answers. I really... I'm not even going to give anything because I really didn't have much. I want to see what you were going to say. And I really like both of those. I, I really think that repentance is, it's not something that is being taught. It's not, if, and if it is, it's not being taught properly. And I also believe that, yeah, people are comfortable with just salvation or their get into heaven ticket. And that's it. And that's all they want. That's all they want from God. But they don't want to put in the time and energy or the, and I, you're saying works and, and like doing things for the church and around our neighborhood and the community, which is all the things that we should be doing. But to me, I even thought of it of like putting in the work to have a relationship yeah. with God. Yeah. And most people don't want that. And, and I like, I think it was Dallas Willard who said, it, or it could be someone else who said like, if you don't want to spend today with God, what makes you think you want to spend eternity with him? Right. And, and so like out of, I don't do things out of, it's my job or obligation when I do stuff. It's I do it because I love God and I just want to be obedient to him. So yeah, two really good answers. Uh, do you want to try to tackle the next one? No, because speaking of those things, I'm You've literally going to... works to do? Yeah, <laughs> I'm literally going to go to the riverbed right now and, and see if we can have some homeless outreach and, and connect with some of our neighbors. Yeah, these are good questions. So just really a are. thank you to everybody for sending these in. Dewey, sorry we didn't get to the rapture question. Uh, that'll be on on another episode, um, as will the rest of these. Because I, I want to answer these. I think that they're good to answer. I like talking about this stuff with you. Yeah, maybe. I, are we still okay to have a second episode? Or? Yeah, we'll try to do a part okay. two. I mean, I meant like we, it's not division between us now. I don't need to answer the rest on a different Oh, podcast. no, I think we're fine. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think we're fine. I, I mean, you made me feel a little stupid about the hell question and that stuff, but <laughs> it's all good. All good. I mean... I was out of my league on trying to answer that one. <laughs> I'm not the theologian like you. I'm the application. I'm not a theologian. I like to listen to them, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I, this was cool. This is the first time me and you have actually sat down together and done for this, this season. For yeah. this season. So I really, I was happy about this. And yeah, let's do a part two. I don't know when and where. Maybe it'll be somewhere in between next season or before next season starts. But next season, season three, will be coming out. We're going to release that. We're going to release that August 11th. That will come out on that day, and we're going to be looking at villains of the Bible. We got a bunch of them. We're going to have some fun with that. 
we'll have some fun guests with us on some of those, but it'll go back to kind of the Sermon on the Mount format, where it's a lot of me and you, and then some people sprinkled in there. Uh, but yes, maybe right before that, we'll, we'll throw in the Q&A part two for that. So that way, as I prepare for my vacation, I don't have to rush through to get it out there as quickly. Oh yeah, don't do that. Enjoy your vacation. Yeah, but this was cool. All right, so let's wrap it up. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm Yurdush. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Casey, what are you doing? Hi, Remy. I'm just looking for a new podcast to listen to. All the ones I listen to now are pretty boring. There's this new podcast out called Your Church Friends. It's pretty interesting and sometimes funny. I think I heard about that podcast from someone else who said it was good. I think I'm going to check it out. You should. And if you like their podcast, you can also go to their website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It has all their old episodes on there, and they link to join their Facebook group page. Do you know why it's yourchurchfriends.rocks? Yeah, because they rock.